Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restriction supply promotions may vary. I see what he means. Context sensitive. Clever. Clever indeed. Welcome to Context Sensitive. This is the gaming podcast that is playing on the curb. The website that's all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. This particular podcast is proudly part of the OzCast Network where you can hear other great shows like the Apple Slice podcast and Jaeger Day podcast. It is also recorded on the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and I pay respects to the elders, both past, present and emerging. So, what is Context Sensitive? Well, Context Sensitive is about video games. It's uh, the Basically, it's a show that comes once a month and I talk about a video game of my choice. Uh, it can be a new game, an old game, uh, who knows? Uh, and ideally, I'm going to look at the themes and the gameplay of that particular game and what goes on in that particular game. So what I'm going to start off with talking about is God of War. Now, God of War is a huge series, so there's a lot of games in the series. There's six games that came out, uh, well, on the PSP and the PlayStation 3, and then there was a mobile game as well, and I think there's been a comic too. Anyhow, there's been a lot of God of War games. But easily the best God of War game is the one that's come out in 2018. It's a fantastic game. A really, really great game. Arguably one of the greatest games ever made. And in my opinion, it's it's probably one of the greatest games ever made. And hopefully my discussion about this particular game will show that this is one of the best games ever made. And it has a lot to talk about. And I won't cover all of the things that I think that the game does touch on. Uh, but certainly in the show notes, there are some links to articles that do touch on themes within the game that I think are worth exploring. Now, if you haven't played God of War 2018, I highly recommend you do that before you listen to this episode, as I will be going into spoiler territory with this show. Uh, If not, if you don't care, then hopefully you enjoy this particular discussion. Oh, there do I see my mother. Oh, there do I see my father. Oh, there do they call to me. Oh, there do they call to me. Oh, there do they call to me. That bow is a little big for you, isn't it? My mother made it for me. Said I'd grow into it. Find your way home. You are free. We're taking our ashes to the highest peak in the realms. Ashes? It was her last wish. Where must we go? To a realm beyond your own. Up until the 2018 God of War, the character of Kratos laid claim to being the greatest anti-hero video game character of all time. He was an angry, brutal man, scorned by having been tricked into accidentally killing his wife and daughter. 
setting a vendetta against the gods, Kratos, over the span of six games, laid waste to the Greek pantheon of gods, as well as a bunch of titans and countless people who were simply in the way of Kratos' wrath. This is not a devil-may-care attitude. Instead, it's a self-destructively reckless agenda that brings down the world as he knows it. There's a lot going on in the series, with the most dev- devastating aspect of Kratos being that he's covered in the ashes of his wife and daughter, and carries a distinct facial tattoo that exists to remind him of his long-lost brother. Family is key to Kratos. Even though fate has dictated that he will destroy the only remaining family he has, Zeus, the father he didn't know he had. As Kratos lays waste to the living on his anger-fueled journey of revenge, slamming viscera into the remnants of the earth with the chains of Olympus that bind him to his destiny, he also forsakes the memory of his wife and beds many, many women. Keep in mind, or don't, as the thought alone is being exceptionally disturbing, that while he beds these many women, including the goddess Aphrodite, he is still covered in the ashes of his wife and daughter. Yeah, extremely disturbing. On top of this, Kratos leads a charge with gender equality. Meaning, well, he'll gladly slaughter men and women equally. Nobody is free from the wrath of his various tools of destruction. The violence is suitably brutal, with everything from heads slowly being torn off thanks to button-mashing quick-time events, or victim-perspective murders, with the fist of Kratos wailing on an ever-bloody Poseidon, who holds up his hand in an attempt to defend himself. Also, in the climax of God of War 3, the screen fills with blood as Zeus has his face pummeled, the player performing a violent self-immolation, or the pseudo-stop-hitting-yourself, as they are forced into destroying Zeus with Kratos' fists, all from the perspective of Zeus himself. One could suggest that the developers have reached a point where they wanted to slam home the impact of all of Kratos' destruction via these first-person deaths, but instead it feels like they were just trying to come up with a new creative way of killing characters. The level of claret spilled throughout the series has been one of absurdity, what with there being an achievement for having covered Kratos in 500 buckets of blood. However much a bucket of blood is, it's a lot. There's a giddy, voyeuristic, gratuitous nature to the way the violence is presented in the God of War series. It wants you to control Kratos in the most gloriously horrendous fashion. It takes glee in the wannabe damn the man narrative of Kratos tearing down the world around him for being a wronged individual. Even though over the course of six games we never question Kratos' actions, becoming complicit in his war crimes. And by the damn the man, tearing down the damn the man thing, I, I mean that he, you know, there is this feeling that the, that the game developers want Kratos to be a anti-establishment kind of villain, or anti-hero rather. And I don't know if that rings true in those six games. Anyway, we are complicit in his war crimes. There is a lot of violence, there is a lot of death that occurs, and we are, of course, the person that is driving Kratos along. So much so that when Kratos takes the conquered god Poseidon's princess, a topless, buxom woman, chained to a bed in service of a god who will never return, the notion that she is no different than a dog waiting for their owner to come back from a day at work. And, well, Kratos uses her as a tool to prop a door open, of which the weight of it is too much for her body to keep open. In turn, crushing her in horrible fashion. Lord Kratos, no, please, please, leave me be. I beg of you, show mercy. Hold your tongue. 
With her blood spilled all over the floor and her legs sticking out of the crankshaft, Kratos is able to move on with his journey. The nameless princess's death is inconsequential. Just like all the characters that he lays waste to, they are mere hurdles on the path to whatever kind of absolution Kratos thinks he's going to attain. This woman as a tool to solve a puzzle trope reaches an absurd height with Hera, a drunk god who has little impact on Kratos' journey other than to be killed unceremoniously and to have her body used as a weight to open and operate doors. Then, of course, there's another exceptionally gruesome and over-the-top beating off a woman in the character in the last of the PlayStation 3 entries in the series, God of War Ascension. Unlike other fights in the series, this one is the most heinous of them all as Kratos does not kill his victim after brutally smashing her face in. On top of this, there was an achievement that has since been patched out that popped when the deed was done, titled Bros Before Hoes. The aspect of trophies is one worth exploring for a brief moment. There's a whole field of trophy hunters out there who find the fastest and easiest way possible to attain trophies. One of the trophies in the game is to max out all the skills in the game. And an easy way of doing this is by repeatedly betting Aphrodite for easy experience points. Rinse and repeat and you've achieved the maximum stats easily. Just like Hera and the unnamed princess, Aphrodite becomes a tool to make Kratos, and in turn the players, path to success easier. All of this carnage, all of this brutality, all this misogynistic single-track focused violence and sexual violence uh, exists in a world of video games that have been coloured by carnage, brutality and misogyny. The eccentric violence of the Call of Duty series is easily regarded as being the pinnacle of toxic masculinity in games. And what with the ever-combative cousin series Battlefield courting controversy with its latest entry, Battlefield 5, out later this year, featuring a playable disabled women character, and the cacophony of online vitriol directed at a video game where you die, respawn, and die again, and its lack of fidelity to the very real World War II, well, it's clear the misogyny knows no bounds. And, you know, one of the game developers for Battlefield Five said something along the lines of, if you get upset about something as simple as a woman in a war game, maybe video games aren't for you. It's easy to write up a list of misogynistic violent acts in video games, but... I'll circle out another major game which rewarded the player for tying up a nameless, helpless woman, throwing her on the train tracks and waiting for a train to come run over her, equating this act as dastardly. Yeah, that's Red Dead Redemption, which is a great game. It's a technically brilliant game with a great story and great acting and all that kind of stuff. But just like the God of War series, it's peppered with this really, really toxic masculinity, this gleeful violence against women that is supposed to be applauded and rewarded. Yeah, I know that with Rockstar Games that they they tend to market these kinds of achievements as you know a way of staying in the headlines, regardless of whether it's positive or negative. Look at the hot coffee debacle after all. And as a way for them to court the hardcore gamers self-described term that they tend to go by uh you know filthy casuals is one of the terms that hardcore inverted commas gamers like to use uh, even though you know they really don't deserve video games at all because they tend to end up just playing the one video game call of duty or something along those lines who well 
they for any reason whatsoever just hate against anybody who just don't in inverted commas again get video games but it's proof there's being an unnecessary action in video games that simply exists to fuel toxic masculinity as a side note would the Grand Theft Auto series lose any element of quality if they removed the sex workers from the game? No, arguably not. But they cause controversy and so therefore they stay in the game. You know, and I know that the Grand Theft Auto series is looking to maintain some kind of reality, but I tell you what, uh, you know, all the technical accomplishments of that game and, and it is a really technically accomplished game. It's a very, very solid game. You know, it'd be it'd be much better if that kind of stuff was taken out of it. Look, all of this discussion is one long line in saying that the 2018 entry in the God of War series works as a much-needed approach to the extreme violence in video games. It appears to exist as a way of atoning and addressing the misogyny and the extreme violence that the series has wallowed in for so long. Yes, they are technically brilliant games that are must-plays, but they do have inherent issues that have played games for a very, very long time. And when you're as successful series as God of War has been, you inevitably get a bunch of imitators who are less nuanced, yeah, I just call the God of War series nuanced, with the way they depict violence and sex. Let's get one of the main issues with this new God of War out of the way. Kratos is a dad again. This time to a young boy named Atreus. So, naturally, he's trying to raise his boy to be a man. We'll get to that in a moment. What's notable is how in the previous God of War games, Kratos had a wife and a daughter who he accidentally killed. While his thirst to seek revenge for being tricked into killing his family feels apt, it's also worthwhile noting that Kratos of old has a distinct ring of the I have a daughter type of man. You know the sort, the ones who think they understand feminism or women's rights just because they have a daughter. Or the ones who veto any potential partner that you know their daughter may bring home the ones who would lock them up and keep them protected from the world if they could a little like how pandora is treated in the original series really kratos in the first six games is the ultimate dude bro he's full of anger never listening to reason never understanding the consequence of his actions he is a man and you know he even though he doesn't really talk about his family all those all that much in the original series you know, he certainly has that ring of, I've got to protect my daughter kind of feel to it. You know the sort of man that I'm talking about. So it's then immediately evident why the Kratos in, of 2018's God of War could not have a girl as a child. Well, I don't know much about the Nordic mythology, but, you know, given the dearth of goddesses that I can see from a, a basic Google search, it logically plays out that Kratos's daughter, well wouldn't have worked in this narrative so it makes sense that he has a son it also extremely thematically relevant that kratos has a son given the life lessons that atreus imparts upon his monosyllabic father along the journey and what off the journey as well well long gone are the sex mini games not just because kratos spends the entirety of game with his son and you know that I don't want to conjure any kind of disgusting imagery in your mind, but that just raises a whole bunch of really uh, terrible questions about what could have been. Um, so thankfully, that's not in the game. This is a more mature Kratos. He's a weathered man who has grown to reconcile with the actions of his past. 
The Nordic mythology doesn't feel as hedonistic as the Greek mythology does, allowing for a version of Kratos who is more at ease with living a sedentary life. The years of pain and torture that occurred at his hand have taken a toll on Kratos, with him leaving his wife and son at home to go to hunt for food for them. He's a man who has worked to be able to afford a life without extended trauma. She's ready. Unlike other open world games, let's say Fallout 4 with its your kid has been stolen, go get them narrative that is dropped immediately in lieu of uh, building settlements, I guess. Uh, I gave up on that game pretty quickly. (laughs) God of War takes a patient, contemplative look at its story. Yes, Kratos and Atreus have an end point they need to reach, but there are no hurry to get there. Through world-building dialogue from a disembodied head, Mimir, the god of knowledge and wisdom, we learn that Faye was not just Kratos' wife and Atreus' father. Her real name was Laufey, and through her dedication and care for those who were weak and helpless, she became known as Laufey the Just. As the narrative unfolds, we come to realise why she had sought out a life away from her kind, with the persecution from Thor and the Norse gods leading to the slaughter and subsequent extinction of the giants. Fae, as someone living in secret, understands Kratos' desire to keep the fact that he is a god from a different realm a secret from his son, and in turn the many people he meets along his journey. Yet, she also understands the need for openness and the harmful way that secrets can affect families and lives. And in one stroke of genius game development, Faye's touch is felt across the game through environmental touches of gold that highlight the path forward. As a nod to the tendrils of fate that guide the characters of this world through their lives, this golden touch in the game shows that Faye has already walked this journey and is subtly guiding Kratos and Atreus to their end point. A place that not only marks the end of Faye's journey, but also works as a way of having Kratos and Atreus open up with each other about who they are. It's your axe. It's Muller. Look. She's arguing with a bunch of giants. She knew giants? That's us. The first time we met the world serpent. But how? 
was Balder. That just happened. Wait. They knew everything that was going to happen. The dragon in the mountain. The stone mason. All these drawings. This is our story. No. This is your story. But... What does it all mean? That I was not the only parent with secrets. You didn't know. She was a giant. We still get to see a fully fleshed out character from the discussions that Atreus has with his father about what Faye had taught him as he grew up. Not only did Faye educate Atreus about the world he lived in, but she taught him languages and their meanings. She taught him the value of understanding the past and understanding your place in the world. In turn, through Faye's death, Atreus is brought closer to his father. And while Kratos' temper is simmered down, the fire that once raged with a fury that felt like it would never cease still exists within him. An early moment of tenderness between father and son helps introduce him to one of the best characters of the game, Freya, once the wife of Odin and the mother of the chief protagonist, Balder. As Kratos is teaching Atreus to hunt, they manage to injure a boar. The boar flees in severe pain, with Freya coming to its rescue. It's explained that this boar... As with many of the creatures in the forest that Freya lives, is a friend of hers. It is not simply an entity that can be slaughtered for food. This is the beginning of Kratos and in turn, Atreus, coming to understand that they can live in harmony with the world around them. Violence and chaos is not always the only way forward. Again, unlike previous God of War games, Freya is a fully fleshed out character with her own agenda. That agenda is to ensure that her son, Balder, is not harmed. A prophecy that dictates that Balder will die an unnecessary death, one that will bring around Ragnarok, the end of times. Freya's knowledge of this inevitable future has her putting a spell on Balder to ensure he remains safe from harm, another hidden secret that a character keeps from their child that may end up hurting them. So, if there's one thing to take away from God of War, it's that keeping secrets from your kids is a bad move. It's especially bad for Atreus when he finally finds out the heritage of his father. He's always known that there was something strange and unique about Kratos, but Kratos' shut-off nature meant that Atreus was never to know that his father was once a god that caused the end of a civilization. Now, admittedly, being open with your son about having once lived as a mass murderer who killed gods and humans alike is possibly not the easiest thing to do. But as Kratos learns in God of War's most salient lesson, not talking to your kin about your past or the issues you're dealing with can be problematic, not only for you, but for them. Kratos' lack of explanation to Atreus that he is the son of a god and Atreus' eventual discovery of this fact causes Atreus to misunderstand exactly what it means to be a god. Upon finding out that he has the blood of a god running through his veins, Atreus turns aggressive feeling like he's an all-conquering being that can never be toppled. He's yet to understand the power he has, failing to comprehend what it means to be a god or even a man. He becomes a reckless, 
careless. And most importantly, he lacks empathy in these moments. These are things that are not the Atreus that we've seen him to be. The shadow of the Kratos of the past lingers in Atreus, and it's here that we see that come forward in a devastating way. Thor, blame me. Me, for what you did to Magni. My own father called me a coward. Looks like he did more than that. Move it, or we'll pick up where he left off. I'll kill you. No. He is beaten. Not worth killing. He should pay for what he said about Mother. I said no. But we're gods. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> That's what I said to your mother right before I gave it to her. What are you doing? This is a much better knife than mother's. Haven't you been teaching me to kill? I've been teaching you to survive. We are gods, boy. And that makes us a target. From now until the end of days, you are marked. So I teach you to kill, yes. But in defense of yourself. Never as an indulgence. Nobody cared about him anyways. What's the difference? There are consequences to killing a god! Why? How do you know? How do you know? Watch your tone, boy. Whatever. Fortunately, Atreus gradually learns the responsibility of what it means to be someone with power. In the realm of God of War, this means being a god. But it's easy to see that the line that developers are drawing between both Atreus and Kratos and the role of men in society. The patriarchy is a thing which has its firm grips on society. White men have long suppressed those who are different from them, subjugating them to their whims and mercy. Where the previous God of War games have celebrated Kratos as an anti-hero, a man to admire for enacting his revenge. As so many films that hold up the single man on a mission revenge plot as a laudable one seem to do. I'm thinking of something like Taken, for example. This entry has Kratos being a noble character. A father who is there for his son, who is simply living his life and becoming more engaged with the world around him. While Kratos is initially reluctant to foster a relationship with his environment, he is coaxed out of his shell by Atreus to avoid simply getting the job done and scattering his wife's ashes. Ever the child, Atreus continually asks questions about the world they live in, about Kratos' history, about his mother, and about the different foes they encounter on their paths. In one powerful moment, Atreus uses his knowledge of different languages to teach Kratos about one of the shrines that they encounter. Atreus is gentle. He's patient. He guides Kratos through the necessary movements to open up the shrine, telling Kratos the words he needs to say and the movements he needs to make. 
One of the main character relationships you will engage with in the game is that of brother and duo Sindri and Brock. The two siblings had their differences, having decided it'd be best that they work separately as blacksmiths, and in turn they haven't seen each other in an age. Yet, they do care about each other, and with each brother asking about the other whenever Kratos visits them to fine-tune his trusty axe. By the end of the game, the two brothers have have reunited, overcoming their differences. And it's obvious that through their discussion and talking about their differences, they are better off for it even if they do still have a few quibbles. Yep, this is a game that encourages discussion. It encourages openness. It encourages exploring your emotions with others, mainly with family members. It's a genuine surprise for a game like this, you know, to deal with things like that. It suggests that the world would be a better place if we could all just be more vocal about how we're, well, how we're feeling. It's a big concept for a video game about gods and monsters, but it's one that is executed wonderfully thanks to the colourful characters and superb dialogue. But this is a God of War game, so there is also the endless gore and violence that carries our heroes on their journey's end. While the pace is slow, patient and respectful, all told through the unbroken one-take camera shot, the violence is glorious and surprisingly noxious. Due to the respect and care given to the world and the attention that is given to foster a relationship between Kratos and Atreus, their actions of violence carry a greater weight. No longer are the excessive, viscerous, spewing scenes of gore present. There are no first-person deaths here, nor are there any brutal acts of violence against women. In place are mythical creatures being slaughtered en masse. In turn, these creatures have thorough backstories that colour the reason why they act the way they do. Take the war between the Dark Elves and the Light Elves, who make up one of the realms that the two heroes visit. This to-and-fro war has been carrying on for an eon, seemingly never-ending. You fight against these enemies, getting a greater understanding of why they are the way they are, making them sympathetic foes rather than simple fodder to conquer. God of War really takes care to ensure that the enemies simply aren't just, well, enemies. Take the Valkyries, for example. Corrupted by a curse that keeps them in their physical form, driving them mad, these Valkyries are being taken away from their purpose of guiding the fallen warriors to Valhalla. By relinquishing them of their physical form, the Valkyries are freed, able to return to their realm. These fights are brutal, intense, frustrating, chaotic, all aspects that you would imagine a corrupted, brilliant entity to be. When they have had their physical form removed, the Valkyries thank Kratos and Atreus for removing this curse from them. You have freed me from my corrupted form. You have my eternal gratitude. But my sisters remain trapped as I was. Take my helm. Find them. Free them. The fate of the Valkyries rests on your shoulders. The world is littered with stories like this, all working towards challenging the foundation that the God of War series has been founded on. The game's director, Corey Barlog, spoke with Polygon about having the ability to say something new with this entry, to address the world that God of War came from, namely that of Kratos being brought up in, and this is uh, Corey's words here, the most fearsome military training program in the history of mankind from the age of eight. While this isn't explicit in the first six games, it's easy to see that the hyper-militarized world of Spartan soldiers carries through in the actions of Kratos in those games. He's become a tool for destruction, with all the humanity that he had having been stripped away. 
is part of the reason why his wife and daughter were killed. This new Kratos still has the skeleton of the Spartan soldier, yet he has grown and encompassed a new, more humanistic version of himself. The screams of pain that he has caused in the past lingers in his mind, but he is learning how to deal with this in a more reasoned manner. Thanks to the guidance that Faye gave Atreus, Kratos' son is able to help him through the pain and learn how to balance his life. As Barlog says, there's very little humanity that he had left after the previous God of War games, but I do not believe that anyone is so far gone that they don't have some way to pull them back from the brink. And that's partly what God of War feels like it's aiming to do. Not only is it intending to right the torturous past of Kratos, but it's also trying to steady the toxic ship that video games have swayed through culture, creating a wealth of angry, aggressive boys who, with the echoes of Call of Duty and Fortnite and all the abuse that comes with those games, are moving into adulthood. God of War demands the need to move past toxic masculinity and horrific violence, doing so by enacting violence and death. In one aspect, it perpetuates the narrative of violence and death, carrying the flame forward, but it does so by commenting on the inevitability of violence and fate. If we are destined to end up at a peak at the top of the world, staring over the field of the enemies we have conquered, then what remains of us? Especially if our actions will in turn bring around the end of the world. In Kratos' terms, this will be the second time he's done that, making him a two-time world killer. So really, the only way for the end of the world to not be brought on is simply to not play God of War. But you should, as this is quite simply one of the finest games ever made. It's a mammoth technical achievement and a profoundly moving game as well. It speaks about growing up with openness and embracing who you are as a person and in turn rejecting the negative, harmful aspects of the past. It is a game that works to right the wrongs of the past. These may be the same developers as the previous games, but they have matured over the five-year span that it took to make this one. Long gone are the suggestions of violence against women, replaced by women who have agency and play a major, positive role in the narrative. This is a game that shows that actions have consequences, and those consequences carry on through a lifetime. In today's society, the concept of heritage and legacy has been explored and addressed in both positive and negative fashions. In Australia, the history of the first Australians in the invasion of, by Captain Cook and his entourage is continually in the public mindset. The wars that were engaged on this land, with the needless slaughter and erasure of indigenous stories, are brought up in discussion regularly, with the path to reconciliation and reparation, one that will hopefully one day be embarked on. In America, the lineage of Confederate history and the ties that bind American history to slavery and the Civil War, and in turn, white supremacy, have been raised throughout the decades, with undeniable link between these toxic aspects of American history and, well, the current president fueling major hate and anguish in a free land. God of War suggests that some reflection, some retrospective analysis of her past is in order. Whether that's a past that occurred hundreds of years ago or whether it's a past that's occurring right now, this is a game that suggests that we are not lost as a society and that through care and attention and guidance, we can be better than who we were. It is a game that suggests that maybe... Just maybe the world of video games can move past the toxic masculinity that runs deep within it. One can hope.
you know, there's a lot more to explore within the realm of God of War. And, you know, there's a lot of themes that it raises. So with that in mind, I, I recommend heading over to a few different websites, which I'll put the link in the show notes, and reading a bit more about what is in this game. Because I think this is a really, really profoundly great game. It is easily one of the finest games ever created. You know, the voice acting is superb. The the acting by uh, the, the actors who portray all the different characters is fantastic. The visuals is stunning. You know, this, this one-take mentality or aesthetic that they've, they've put into the game sounds like a gimmick, but it really helps immerse you into the world in a way that I have struggled to be immersed in games since. And, you know, I'm currently playing through Spider-Man, which is a solid game. But as soon as I loaded it up, I was a bit like, why are you cutting away? Let's keep this in one take. And I know that's not possible. I know that's not an easy thing to do. But for me, it feels like there was a pre-God of War and a post-God of War version of me playing video games. Like I'm seeing video games through a whole new light after playing this game, which sounds like a lot. And it is a lot because, you know, this game deals with a lot. It deals with a lot of interesting themes and things like that. But it does it in such an impressive manner. I'm, I'm awestruck by how brilliant this game is and how wonderful it looks. It's a stunning game and... You know, it's a it's a testament to some fantastic games developers. And, you know, it's it's one of the finest pieces of art that I've ever engaged with. I, I absolutely love it. I think it is a brilliant, brilliant game. Boy. Yeah. On the day you were born, I made two knives, mixing metals from my home and from this land. One for myself, and when you were ready, one for you. Today is that day. Some men like you? No. We are not men. We are more than that. The responsibility is far greater. be better than me. Understand? Say it. I will be better. The power of this weapon, any weapon, comes from here. But only when tempered by this, by the discipline, the self-control of the one who wields it, that is where the true strength of a warrior lies. You must never forget that. Good then. Come. So that was my discussion on God of War. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Context Sensitive. Uh, it's been a show which I've been thinking about for a while. I used to write game reviews for Another Dungeon, and I thoroughly enjoyed doing that. And there was a great uh, podcast that we had going on there as well. And that's that's been gone for a while now, but I really enjoyed that kind of discussion. And I hope that uh, you enjoy this discussion. You know, I know it's just me banging on about video games, but I, 
I have played a fair few video games. I've talked to a fair few video game developers and things like that. And I hope that uh, my experience is worthwhile and, and interesting. And, you know, I hope that uh, you enjoy what I have to say about video games. Now, I haven't decided what I'll be covering on the next month's episode. Uh, possibly will be Spider-Man, but it might likely be Shadow of the Tomb Raider if I get that finished in time. Because I think there's a lot to talk about with this uh, wrap-up of a fantastic trilogy there. If not, it might also be Guacamelee 2, which is a superb game, almost equaling the brilliance of the first game. But I'll tell you what, if you have any suggestions of video games that you want to hear me talk about, hit me up on social media, The Curb AU on both Facebook and on Twitter, or you can send me an email, thecurbau at gmail.com. Or you can head over to our website, thecurb.com.au, or maybe you want to uh, find a way of supporting this show a little bit more, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash thecurbau. All different ways of getting in touch with me, all around on the internet and stuff like that. Yeah, get in touch. Let me know what game you want to hear me talk about. And let me know whether you enjoyed the show or not. Um, this These particular shows will be written up as well. So there will be a text version of this particular podcast for you to read if you want to uh, head back and, and, and read all about what I've said in this particular show, uh, which you can find on the website as well. There will be a link in the show notes. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode of The Curb. Bye. Boy. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply.